Howdy everyone and welcome back to the Rodcast. We are continuing our interview series for our instructors today. I'm Griffin Camacho, one of the vocal instructors here at the Rodman Steel Studio. And today, I will be taking you in an interview process with the queen of interviewing, <laughs> the one and only Emily. How you doing today? Oh, I'm great. It's it's wonderful to be interviewed. Wonderful. To be on the other side of the desk. I know, exactly. Are, are you sweating yet? You're like, oh, I'm being interviewed. Um, oh, oh, gosh. Man, I'm like, I, now I feel stressed. Like, what questions is he going to ask me? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, anyway, so how you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. The weather's been nice lately, but today it's windy again, and it I is. just like that. It, it is but a little windy okay. today. Um, so let's just start off right off the bat. What do you do here at the Rodman Steel Studio? So I am a piano instructor, and I am also the education manager of the Rodman Steel Studio, which basically just means that I, if there's something that involves teaching people, I have my fingers in it, I mm -hmm. guess we could say. Uh, if teachers need any help or any advice for curriculum or what to do with a certain student, um, I am there as a resource for them and I help a lot with the honors program and with keeping client records and a lot of that kind of stuff. Wonderful. And also, um, she is like an encyclopedia on music and music history and anything having to do <laughs> with music. So Well, uh, and obviously part of my job includes doing this podcast. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so she knows a lot, yes. that's, that's for sure. You, you get to hear my uh, voice speaking at you frequently. Which we love, so. we absolutely love. Um, but yeah, she also helps um, all the teachers. Uh, she goes into different lessons. She's been in my lessons before and sees how each instructor teaches as well as their uh, music style and also just gets a vibe for every instructor so that she can better help not only the students but also each one of our amazing uh, staff. That's what I'm there for. So, when did you start learning the piano? So, I started taking piano lessons when I was I believe four years old. Yes, I, th I think that that's correct. That's a, that's a good age. I, d I don't remember it because I was very young at that time, obviously. I have a few like shady memories of my right. very first piano teacher who was kind of like a crusty old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how we all started, right? right? That's all of our first in music. Yeah, so yeah, I started playing when I was four. That's awesome. Very young. And do you remember a time when you first were like, I am a musician? Like you just whipped your hair back and you yes. were like, I am a... I'm a pianist, I'm a musician. A musician. Yes, actually, I do remember this. Okay, so um, when I was in seventh grade, I had been, I'd been taking piano at that time since I was four, so eight or so years. And I also uh, had sung with the Children's Chorus of Greater Dallas for a while, which Griffin also did. We actually met each other yes, at that we time. Yes, yeah. A long time yeah, ago. A long time ago. More awkward, you know. Both uh, more, of us shorter. More child fat, <laughs> yep. you know, braces. Yes. It was like a different time. Yes, you know. yes. Actually, I remember the braces vividly. But anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in seventh grade, I had been in choir for a while. I had been doing piano for a while. And um, one day, our choir director, asked me at school asked me if I would lead the vocal warm-up oh, for the group because wow. she I think she had like something to do in her office and needed to kill <laughs> she needed to kill five minutes of time and so she was like I'll make a student do the warm-up so she told me to do the warm-up and I very confidently walked over to the piano and started doing like you know and I was trying to play along and 
struggling a little bit, but so she she heard me playing and she came out of the office and she was like, oh, you can just press play on the CD. Because oh. she, had like, <laughs> cause she had like a CD of vocal warm-ups that we could like sing along to. And she really just wanted me to like stand up at the front and make sure everyone was doing it but along you know with what? the CD. You went above but I was like, I can do this. I'm a musician. I can warm up the choir with my <laughs> piano skills. And That's I awesome. did a bad job. <laughs> no, I bet you did wonderful, and I bet she was impressed. I bet she was. I but. have no idea. Wherever you are now, Melissa Roth, <laughs> I hope that you remember me. You remember <laughs> her for that one day of warm-ups. Well, mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome. Um, so first, tell us, where are you from? I, well, okay, I'm from a lot of places. Texas. I grew up in Richardson area, so my that school that I was at in seventh grade was Richardson North Junior High. Um, and yeah, so I grew up in Richardson area. That's how I got into CCGD and did a lot of other things like here in Dallas area. But when I was 13 in eighth grade, summer before eighth grade, my family moved to Austin. So I went to high school in Austin and I kind of consider myself more of an Austinite because mm -hmm. that's where more of my formative memories took place. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I moved to Austin in 2010 and then, uh, Let's see. Then I went to I went to school in East Tennessee for undergrad, and then I did my master's degree in West Texas in Lubbock, and now I've moved back here to Dallas. And remind us, uh, what was each degree? Okay, so my first degree was a bachelor's degree. It was a bachelor of science in church music, and my emphasis was piano, obviously. And then my master's degree is a master of music in musicology. Hey, musicology. So that's yes. why she's doing this podcast. That's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why you hear so many fun facts from me all the time. Well, I think one of the cool things, um, and I'm I am not a pianist. I can play somewhat, but definitely not to the level of anyone that actually wants to be heard. But um, um, one of my voice instructors was a pianist, and he said when he was younger, um, he was blessed that his professor just gave him, or his teacher gave him just uh, church hymns every week, mm -hmm. and he just like sight read it, and every week sight read new one, yes. sight read new one. Yes. And um, I would say since you also did church music stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a pretty nice way to learn how to play piano. Yeah, you know, sight reading, sight reading hymns is deceptively difficult mm -hmm. because there's chord changes very quickly. So it's a great way to get yourself reading music quickly if you're a young pianist. And there's a lot of them. And so there are so many. You will never run out of material. You'll never, ever, ever run <laughs> out of material. That is true. That is really true. Um, now, one cool thing is that you have studied abroad, I found out recently. That's true. I did. So before I went to... Okay, so before I finished high school... I had done a lot of choir, I had done a lot of, I had done some piano. When I finished high school, I actually wasn't that into piano. I just had wanted to study voice in college because I thought that's really what I love. I love choir, that kind of thing. Um, my senior year of high school, I didn't even take piano lessons because I was like, ah, I'm kind of done with it. You're like done piano. I was like done, I was tired of it. Um, but anyway, so I, the last couple of years of high school, I had some pretty negative experiences with choir mm. that made me wonder if I really did want to be a choir director. And so I decided to, I, and so I thought to myself, okay, well, if that, if I don't want to be a choir director, then should I even study music at all? Because I don't know what I'd want to study music if it wasn't choir. So I decided to delay my decision of what to study by doing a gap year. So after I graduated from high school, um, the school that I had decided to go to, I picked because they I got an, ac an academic scholarship, so I wouldn't have to study music to go there. Mm. I could change my major with no 
consequences. Insurance. Exactly. Um, but I still didn't know what I wanted to study, and so I decided to take a gap year and study abroad at this international school in Sweden. And that was really cool, literally cold. <laughs> I was very, very cold. cold the whole time. I was there from September to May. So I was there like during the cold time. The cold time. <laughs> there were like there was like one week of nice weather when I got there and like two weeks right before I left. And other than that, I was just freezing cold the whole time. I was like, I'm a Texan. I'm not built for this. <laughs> and I decided never to live anywhere cold ever again. Hey, but, I yeah. understand that. And this will tell a lot about Emily. What was your favorite food while in Sweden? Well, okay. What was my favorite food while in Sweden? There are, Swedish food is very interesting. I don't um, even know. I really don't know. Swedish yeah. I, well, I got to, I, I think one of the most interesting things I got to try is I got to try moose. Oh. Yeah, because wow. it's, yeah, and it tastes very, like, it tastes most similar to, like, elk or deer, I would say, mm. but it's, yeah, it's it's definitely gamey, but I don't think it's, like, as gamey as venison. But, yeah, it was good. It's good in, like, a sausage form with gravy, and that's kind of how we, we ate it. It was really good. And I also developed a taste for the lingonberry jam, which is, like, a Swedish classic food. Wow. And it is very tasty. That's cool. You can get it at World Market. Recommend. Uh, did you, I don't know, I you know, did you travel to any of the, like, I don't know, Viking uh, historical sites or anything in Sweden? Uh, no. I, actually, most of the traveling I did while I was studying there, I didn't do in Sweden. Oh, I, yeah. I traveled to Germany mostly. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I got to spend a lot of time in Germany, actually, especially southern Germany, because I wanted to go, whenever we had a vacation, I wanted to go somewhere that it was warmer. Warmer. And <laughs> if Germany's warmer. Yes. And southern Germany is much warmer than Sweden. So I spent a lot of time in Stuttgart and in Munich. Also, they have a good train system. Tra they travel do. System. The trains in Europe are m amazing. I've talked to Griffin about this before. <laughs> I'm very passionate about trains. I think they're amazing. I wish we had better ones in the U.S. Yeah, that's true. But I anyways, that's, 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 that's a, a whole so other story. Yeah, that's a soapbox for another Let's time. Let's do a podcast just on trains. Honestly, <laughs> I would. If this didn't have to be music-themed, I would do a whole podcast series on why trains are amazing and we should have them in the U.S. Well, great. We can tie that into music somehow. <laughs> somehow, yeah. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, not just for music, but just anywhere in the world, free everything, where would you go? Oh, man. That's a hard question to ask. Hard question to answer. Um, man. Like, right now, I would say I would love to move to Asia. Because um, I've visited Japan before. Mm -hmm. And it is, like, the coolest country ever. I bet I want to go. It's, like, everything is just in the future. It's so clean and people are so polite and it's so easy to get around and it's just it's a real the food is amazing. I didn't I, I didn't know what fish tasted like until I went to Japan. <laughs> um yeah, I would say just like my gut reaction is to say Japan because hey, it's, it's, pretty it's cool. really, really cool. And you know, it's great and great people, great culture and they are I mean I mean their nation is the future. I mean mm -hmm. it seems like it's so seriously. Um, we could we could take some notes from them. It's, uh, it's wild. So yeah, I loved it. I loved it there. So um, for any um, future piano, um, uh, how do I say? People who want to play piano in the yes. future. How do you start playing piano? Mm, that's a great question. I think it depends on your age. So if because if someone's like younger than high school, the best way to start playing piano is to get a teacher mm -hmm. because. If you're younger than high school, it's pretty unlikely that you'll be disciplined enough to really teach yourself that much without a teacher helping you right. along the way, which is what I do. That's my job. Obviously, I think that you should get a teacher. If you're older than high school, um, I think that there's a lot you can learn about piano just by 
kind of Googling it and watching YouTube videos. And I think that you can get a pretty good feeling for how the piano works and how to move your way around it with that kind of resource. But what I will say is it can only take you so far. Yeah, of course. Um, you can figure out a lot of basic things about music theory and piano by watching YouTube videos. You really can. But if you want to take it to the next level of like really being able to play well, really being able to play with a band, or especially if you want to play classical music, then you should definitely, definitely talk to someone that's a teacher because they can really help you. They'll help you notice things that you don't even realize you're doing. They'll help point out things to you that uh, you didn't realize you didn't understand. And if you have any specific questions, you can really ask a teacher. You know, it's hard to ask Google a specific question and mm -hmm. get exactly the answer you need. Um, you can get answers that are sort of close to what you need, but not the exact one. So yeah, I would definitely say if you want to get into piano, um, if you're younger than high school, just start with lessons. If you're older than high school, you can start with lessons. You could start with Google, but you'll eventually need lessons too. <laughs> and I think what's interesting is about piano is that piano is one of those instruments that <clears throat> it seems like every parent wants their child to play, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of those instruments that I think if you were to pick any instrument, but I mean, so there's singing, I'm biased singing, but mm -hmm. singing we do every day. But an instrument that you don't do every day, I mm -hmm. think piano would definitely be one of them because piano can be a part of anything, right? Yes. I mean, piano's in everything, yes. any music, all over the world, yes. throughout history. And it's also, I mean, it's just a very cool thing to know, mm -hmm. you know? It's a very versatile instrument. Um, it's probably, I think more, pe people say all the time, oh, piano's so useful. And it really is. If you wanna do something with music, being able to just sit down at the piano and play whatever you need to play is, a I think one of the most valuable skills that you can have. If you if you're a vocalist, you know, being able to play the piano to help yourself sing better is mm -hmm. a great skill. I'm, I'm sure that you can yeah, speak to that. Yeah, I, you know? I would love to be able to play mm -hmm. like she can. Being able, well, even just being able to warm up your students, True, being yes. able to uh, warm up a choir if you were directing a choir, being able to just read your vocal line and play your pitches for yourself right. if it's hard for you to get them, um, and then obviously, of course, if you could get to the piano level where you can like play the accompaniment for yourself that yeah. would be very helpful too but even just at the basic level of being able to read music better and hear what music sounds like piano is it's pretty pretty vital i would say and yeah. a good part of i mean i would i think in most vocal uh, degree companies we take some piano so mm -hmm. piano is always there so we can yeah. at least do most of that yeah. but um it would be wonderful for any singer just to be able to sit down and, blah, 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 and just mm -hmm. play a bunch of stuff yes. and also good for composing yes. as well i mean obviously. well and i mean there's a reason that so many really good choir directors are amazing pianists there's a reason that basically every music program in this country is going to require you to take at least four semesters of piano, mm -hmm. regardless of what instrument you're actually majoring in. You know, there's there's a reason why that's part of the curriculum for any university music student. Well, and the cool thing about piano is that it is, I always say like piano is like the foundation for a lot of groups and stuff. And to be a pianist, you really have to understand the group as a whole and music mm -hmm. as a whole. Yes. As a singer, I sing one note, I'm like, I'm the most important. Mm -hmm. Everyone's follow gonna me. follow you, yes. Uh, you know, even if you're violinist, a violist, cellist, bassist, you know, bassoon, trumpet, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you're just playing you know, one, two, three notes, you know, it depends on what you're doing if you're really good. But um, but a pianist is literally, I mean, just the base and the, the bedrock mm -hmm. of any we're we're a, we're a big supporting character, yeah. I always say. But that's not to say that there aren't amazing uh, pianists and piano pieces yeah. where we get to be the star, like 
there's in the classical world there's so many really beautiful piano concertos out there and then obviously with like rock music who how could Elton John be Elton John without right. the piano how could Billy Joel be Billy Joel exactly. without the piano he the piano is the star mm -hmm. when they're playing which I think is it's great it's just a very versatile instrument it can be the star it can support whoever else wants to be the star you can really do anything I always think it's um funny and I'm glad I'm glad that they try this but I always think it's funny that like when a a singer, like a pop singer who doesn't play the piano a whole mm -hmm. lot, but they just sing. But they're at the Grammys and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, yes, I played I'm it. But they're, play now. but they're like, ready, C. Uh -huh. Yes. G. Playing something very simple. And they're like, oh. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm a pianist. Oh. But you know what? I mean, I think that kind of speaks to like how accessible the piano yeah. is that mm -hmm. people who don't have much piano experience can get up and play something simple and it will still sound pretty good. Mm -hmm. Even if it isn't flashy or very impressive, it will still sound nice. And it's not like guitar where, like, guitar is obviously, I think, probably, like, the closest equivalent to piano as mm -hmm. far as its versatility, its usefulness. Popularity. Popularity. Um, but even with guitar, like, you can only play, if, if you're not a guitarist, you can only play so much guitar before your hands, like, will not allow you to play the mm -hmm. instrument anymore because mm -hmm. it's, you need to build up, build up that callus, and you'll lose it if you don't keep playing guitar very consistently. Now, not to say that there aren't muscles that have to be developed to play the piano well, but the barrier of the like physical pain and like literally training your hands to have the right calluses, that's not there with piano. Right. So even, you know, if a pop star wants to get up and play piano, they can practice it as much as they want without hurting themselves. Yep. Uh, unless they have just like horrible posture. <laughs> yeah. Posture, come have training. Yeah. I think the only uh, stories is like um, the composers who like, you know, I mean, you know, the music that does like, you know, 11s or something, you yeah, know. Yeah, big, big intervals. And I started throwing on the spot, but I remember there was one composer who like made a contraption to stretch his hands. I don't remember who it was, mm -hmm. to play a larger, and it like broke his hand and yeah. he could never play again. I, but I he, think you're thinking of Robert Schumann. Probably. So he, um, he had like, a, he was like, fascinated by um, the strength difference between fingers four and five, which mm -hmm. is the numbers we use in piano to describe our pinky and ring finger. Mm -hmm. So there's a, like physiologically, there's a tendon that connects those two fingers that makes it very hard to move them independently. Right. Like even if you just at home listening, try to move your ring finger without moving your pinky or try to, it, it's very difficult, right? <laughs> and that's because there's a tendon that connects those two fingers. And obviously when you're playing piano at a very, very high level, that difference in strength between your first three fingers and those last two fingers is a huge it's a huge, it can be a huge barrier to playing right. as fluidly as you want to. And Robert Schumann, he was a composer who really wanted to overcome this barrier, as many pianists have in the past. So he did all sorts of things to try to get his fourth and fifth fingers to be a little stronger, to move more independently. And eventually he decided to undergo an experimental surgery mm -hmm. to basically cut that tendon, mm -hmm. which even thinking about it, it makes me like kind of squeamish. Yeah, like, really, yeah. Um, and Sure enough, uh, after that surgery, his hand was like permanently crippled and he couldn't play piano ever yeah, again. Which is very sad, <laughs> but you know what? He did it, so no one else did. Yes, you now know? we all know we, we can that. just live with having slightly weaker fourth and fifth fingers. It's yeah. just how our human how human bodies are mm -hmm. are made. <laughs> which which is pretty pretty crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right, um, what is actually the most difficult piano piece you've ever? performed or played oh, or even just rehearsed and then performed. Man, just oh, let's see. One you remember is just like, I hate that piece. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, it's funny because like even even when I start difficult pieces and I hate them at the beginning, mm-hmm. if I keep working on it by the end, it becomes like a piece that I really love because yeah. it was so difficult mm-hmm. that the whole like journey of practicing made me like it a lot. Right. And I would say like the most rewarding experiences have been those. Um, for my for my senior recital as an undergraduate student, uh, I wasn't a piano performance major, so the music that I played wasn't necessarily like the hardest, I would say. Um, I would say that there were two pieces on my program that were very difficult for me. The first one was um, Rachmaninoff's Prelude in G Minor from Opus 23, I believe that it's number five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that piece was really hard for me because it's so fast, there's so many parallel octaves, you're playing very quickly. Uh, it's it it was very difficult for me, and I would say that that piece I had to work on harder than any other piece that I'd worked on before at that time in my life, and so even by the time that I got to my recital, I didn't have it up to the tempo that I wanted it to be at. But I was really proud of myself for having like achieved something oh, yeah. that I had. I didn't think I could do, which is kind of funny because in contrast, the other piece I had on my program that I think was fairly difficult was, a, it was a piece by Charles Ives from his um, Concord Sonata, mm-hmm. uh, Movement 2. Um, and that piece, I think like musically, there are probably a lot of people that would say that that piece is more difficult because it is it's got a lot of polytonality in it and there's not really a, a very consistent rhythm mm. there's not like there's no there's not really bar lines or anything like that um, but for me that piece was much easier because it didn't require me to like the the physical playing of it was not as hard so for me it was just a question of practicing it enough that I could you know, move my hands quickly enough that kind of thing uh, it wasn't like I felt like I was constantly trying to like work my muscles out right. to be better at it. Um, and so I think that at the on the performance, that piece sounded better, even though it was te- technically probably harder. Mm. Um, but less rewarding, I think, yeah. because it wasn't as difficult. Well, so, I think the hardest piano piece, oh, and mm-hmm. uh, I hope I don't mess this up, uh, John Cage, mm-hmm. uh, what, what is it? Was uh, it a prepared piano piece? Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, the, the, what's, what's his? Four minutes y- and 33 seconds. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hardest piano piece oh, of all time. Great. We've talked about that on an episode, a podcast episode before, if you don't remember, John Cage 433. Oh. It's the piece we talked about in our uh, What Makes Music series where we're talking about... Um, does sound make music? And mm-hmm. 433 is the piece we were mentioning that um, is basically... It involves a piano and a stopwatch. Any, and it actually doesn't even say piano. Oh, you it, can, just, you, it can be any instrument. Oh, okay. You just get up and you set a timer for four minutes and 33 seconds and just wait. And you don't play anything. Yep, <laughs> it, it's something. Modern music, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, if you want to hear more of a deep dive on that, check out the <laughs> previous episode we did. Um, what um, what genre of piano music or just music in general do you like mm-hmm. playing the most? Just for fun. Um, I love playing classic rock. I would say classic rock. I love yeah, classic man. rock. My favorite band of all time is Toto. Nice. Toto. <laughs> Toto's so good. I people think they're a meme because of Africa, <laughs> but they're such a good band. They're so good. They're they are really a keyboardist band. Their keyboardist David Page was amazing. Still is amazing. Um, so many of their pieces have just awesome, awesome keyboard lines. Uh, whether that's synth or like grand piano sort of sound, they just have, like I could play, if I had to play nothing but Toto for the rest of my life, I would be totally musically satisfied. 
Um, the, the, the instructors here at uh, Rodman Steel Studio have very specific tastes. That's true. Rodman likes a certain band. You <laughs> like this, yes. you know. I love Toto. We have an um, and I uh, speaking of like synths, I guess you must have really liked the '80s because like they just yeah, had, you could so hear stuff. But the thing, the thing is like, yeah, they're they're you know with like. Hammond organs and Moog synthesizers and stuff like that. There was a lot of pushing the boundaries on keyboard stuff in the 70s and into the 80s. But at the same time, people still played just like acoustic pianos Mm -hmm. or electric keyboards with just a normal grand piano sound. Mm -hmm. Like you think about songs like Come Sail Away by Styx. Like that song, the whole beginning of it is like, it's so iconically piano. Mm -hmm. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Mm -hmm. All of Elton John, all of Billy Joel. Mm -hmm. Um, Just there's so many bands, like classic rock bands from the 70s and 80s that have, yeah, they have synths, but they also have a lot of just good old fashioned grand piano. And it's really, really fun to just sit down and play because you don't need to have a synthesizer at home to make that sound. And that's just like so much fun. I grew up listening to a lot of that classic rock. Mm. Um, And one of my earliest musical influences was a guy called Keith Green. Mm -hmm. He's like so great. (laughs) I love Keith Green. He he was a Christian musician, but um, he is, He's like so piano heavy, so piano, so much piano. And he was so good and I just have so many fond memories of like dancing around in the living room listening to Keith Green because his piano music is so groovy. It's so groovy. So groovy, man. I loved it. I still love it, so. Um, Opinion on harpsichord. You know, harpsichord isn't for everyone. It had to be there for the piano dip? Yes, I I personally find harpsichord music very pretty. I like the sound of a harpsichord, but it's not a musical timbre that is in a lot of people's like daily experience. We have like a stereotype of like it's very posh and like, you know, oh yeah, it's harpsichord. Yes, Yes. And, and you know, a lot of people will never really listen to harpsichord music because it's not an instrument that a lot of compositions are written for nowadays. It's kind of like, considered an artifact by a lot of people. Um, but I think it's really beautiful. I think it's really fun to play, you know, Bach pieces on a harpsichord. I've never played one myself, but I love. I would love to get that opportunity someday. Yeah, uh, you, um, just tuning them you know, yeah, a lot. There's a lot them, of tuning. Man, and, uh, and you've had interest in just, like being a tuner. Yeah, you? I mean, piano tuning is like a great way for a pianist to get to know their instrument better and, and make money and make some money because there's not a lot of people out there that tune pianos or want to the um, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yes it can be a little tedious but yeah i i, I think that's something i'll explore okay um, um what is uh the weirdest job you've had as a musician that you had to make ends meet or just the weirdest gig or anything mm, okay so okay let me think about this so I've, I, I'm one of the musicians that's lucky enough that basically all my jobs that I've had have been music related. Mm, good. Um, but some of them have still been weird. So like, okay, here, here's a good example. I don't, I don't know if this is like the weirdest job because I know other people have done it, but I th- it's funny to me. I, I used to work at a church um, for several, it was like my summer job when I was in college. And the music director at that church was awesome. His name is John Parker. He's like the greatest dude ever. I absolutely love him. Um, but he has a publishing company for choral music called easychoirmusic.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, uh, and it's it's great, you know, great publishing service. But anyway, so when I was working for him as an assistant at the church, he also gave me some jobs recording demos for this choral music publishing company. Now, recording a demo for a choral music is way different than, like, recording a demo for someone's, like, you know, pop tape or something like that. Because... 
the way we did it is it would be me and John's son, Jay, and maybe like two other people, but maybe just the two of us. And we'd be in a, a studio recording and we would go in and we would sing every part mm. like two or three times. Mm. And he would just layer all of the tracks to make the two of us sound like a whole choir. That's cool. <laughs> and it's really funny because like obviously it doesn't sound as rich as like a, a real choir would because a lot of the richness of choral tone is made by people having like slight differences in the timbre of their right. voices. Um, and obviously if it's just the same person, that's not going to happen right. <laughs> really. Uh, so it sounds like a little bit weird, but it's, it's yeah, funny. Demo out. It makes right. Sense. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely some recordings of a choir of just me and <laughs> Jay Parker on easy car music. We'll go find that and we're yes. going to put it on the website and yes. it's going to be there. And well, the cool thing about gigs, just for a little plug for Robin's show studio, Mm-hmm. One thing that's different, I think, about our studio, too, is that we do do gigs. We actually mm-hmm. do perform yes. a lot. We do a lot of different performances in our personal yes. life and as a group and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and we do all sorts of styles. Like, um, just a couple of weeks ago, I played a gig by myself as just, like, sort of background music on piano. But then also, you know, we've done shows for people's birthday parties and for weddings. And we've done things as a whole band. We've done things as, you know, two people, three people, four people. All, all sorts of styles. We've done jazz. We've done pop. We've done rock. We've done everything. So we really, we uh, we can do what you want. We can do us. everything, yes. We can do whatever you need. <laughs> um, now for a more recent kind of question. Yes. Um, COVID pandemic mm-hmm. just happened. Um, how did COVID change your experience making music as mm-hmm. a meaning of music? Because I know yeah. the pandemic really affected a lot of people's yes. inner souls when it came yes. to music. Yes, yes. Well, and that's actually a really good, like, that's a really good question now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic because Hopefully. a lot of this stuff is changing. Yeah, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, so for me, when I was, when the pandemic started in March, 2020, I was in grad school. And um, I was in grad school for musicology, which was a, that's a degree that doesn't have a big emphasis on performance mm-hmm. because it's mostly a research degree. Um, and because of that, my first year, I actually did not take piano lessons um, because I, I was kind of like exhausted after my recital and I was like kind of tired of it and yeah. wanted, wanted to take a break. And it was I, that's just not how I wanted to use my elective hours. Um, but what happened was when the pandemic happened, obviously the choir that I was in, we didn't meet anymore. Right. Uh, all the classes that I was teaching moved to online because I was a graduate teaching assistant when I was in, uh, my in my master's program. So all my teaching went online and I no longer had access to any piano to practice on mm. or play on. Because even that first year, even though I wasn't taking lessons, I was still playing like right. all the time just for fun and like for classroom demonstrations because it's nice to be able to play music when right. you want to yeah. show somebody what it sounds like in a music history class. Um, but when the pandemic happened, the school that I was at, Texas Tech, got very, they had to be very strict about practice room allocation because the practice rooms were, are very old and very poorly ventilated. Right. Um, and so only people that were in lessons uh, or in a studio had access to practice rooms. And I was not. Right. And I didn't. Um, and I didn't have like an established relationship with any other church that I could go and play at. Um, so I really like kind of hadn't, I had very little opportunity to play my instrument at all. Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't really change until like the beginning of 2021. Mm. Well, maybe actually even later than that. 
uh, maybe like March 2021, kind of towards the end of that semester, they started loosening up a lot of restrictions on like be people being on campus and that kind of thing. But by then I was like working so hard on my thesis that I like had no free time. And right. I was also instructor of record at that point. So I was lecturing three times a week like and doing a lot of grading so i really didn't even have any free time at that point to practice she so, does a lot she yeah did a lot. um so f for me i think the biggest thing that covid did was first of all moved my entire grad student experience online mm -hmm. and second of all like took me away from my instrument yeah. and that was terrible like i i i couldn't sing in choir i couldn't really play very much or at least not to the level that i would want to so like i remember even when i applied for this job I still felt like my piano skills were like really behind mm -hmm. because I had been so stagnant for such a long time, like not being able to practice at the level that I wanted to. And so I and even now, you know, it's now April 2021 or 2022. Excuse me. I still no, feel like I'm back. like not to the level of piano that I would like to be at. But she's um, great. But yeah. She's <laughs> being hard on herself. Well, you know, and now I have a piano at my apartment so I can play all the time whenever I want, which and I here, do. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so, and, and now, you know, I can, I, I teach all my lessons in person, which is so nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say that that was a really big change for me. It really made me miss piano, mm. you know? It, I, even at a time when I was like ready to take a break from it, the, fact that I didn't have a choice anymore and I could not play, that was like, that was very hard for me. Well, and I think hard. to transition from COVID to like burnout, mm -hmm. um, and we've discussed this before, um, like you said, when and, and one thing about going to school, like um, mm -hmm. college for a specific craft, you do it all the time, right? Yes. You do it nonstop, like you heard, mm -hmm. she has all the classes. I know I had like 10 classes a day, just music. Mm -hmm. You do music, 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 and it kind of turns into a point where you feel burnt out and you feel like, do I really want to do this? And it's, and then later on you realize, oh, it wasn't, um, I don't want to do this. I'm mm -hmm. just burnt out. Mm -hmm. I do this nonstop. Yes. And um, in the pandemic, I think, like you said, took it away from mm -hmm. us. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, never mind, can't live without it. Yeah. You know? Yes, exactly. Well, and like, that's always something to think about with music is like when you make something your job it because it, music is a hobby for a lot of people right mm -hmm. if you make a hobby into your actual job for a lot of people that like takes the joy out of it like if you're if you knit like for mm -hmm. fun but then you decide to make it your full-time job to do nothing but knit for people like for a lot of people that would take the joy out of it and I think that the same thing can happen for musicians as well. Like, even if you love music in high school, if you decide to major in it and you're doing nothing but music all the time and it becomes stressful and it becomes work, you can lose a lot of the passion for it. And so, I, you know, like kind of to your point about burning, burning out, like COVID, I think for a lot of people, made, made us realize like we need to consider our relationship with music a little differently mm -hmm. so that even if you know like even if this had never happened for instance like it's possible to have a relationship with music such that it it is your job and you are earning a living from it or doing it all the time as a student but you make time enough for just having fun and just playing around yeah. that you don't get to that burned out place because the relationship with music in general is healthy 
despite it being your job. And I would say have other interests too. I mean, mm-hmm. one, I would recommend uh, going to a school that has like a liberal arts program that actually mm-hmm. has like yes. math, science, yes. football games, yes. pep, a lot whatever. Of things I, got a, I got a minor in biblical languages. Yeah. It was just like, to- it was like a totally different vibe, totally different environment. And I think that's a misconception. People are like, mm-hmm. well, if you do music, you need to do it 100% yes. only music nonstop. And it's like, no, music is one of those careers that it's like part of your soul. Yes. And it's not like, you know, I am a lawyer. I am a tax guy. I mm-hmm. I'm at work at a bank, mm-hmm. I, whatever. It's yeah. like music is just something you'll have for the rest of your life. Yes. And you can do a billion other things while you have music yes, as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, now, um, I think this will be the last question for today. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to learn another instrument, which would you choose? Well, you know, I mean, we've already talked up the piano so much today. Yeah. How useful it is and mm-hmm. how great. And I do love the piano. And, and so, yeah, that's definitely true. So I feel like my instinct is to want to pick an instrument that's really portable mm-hmm. because the piano <laughs> is not, I can't take it anywhere with me. I, I mean, yeah, I could take like an unweighted keyboard with me places. Luckily, but, like, there's pianos everywhere, luckily. Luckily, there's pianos basically everywhere. But if I'm ever like, you know, with friends around a campfire, yeah, I can't whatever. play the piano at that time. No. So I would say I would say my instinct is to pick something very portable. Um, I think the my harmonica. My, the, pra- the practical side of me says guitar yeah. because guitar mm-hmm. is just so useful, and I would have so much. It, that would help me a lot, even like teaching students piano or mm-hmm. working with the honors program here. Being able to play guitar a lot would help me. But, and the practical side of me, I I'm sure that I will start working more on guitar. But my heart says the cello. The, oh, the cello. Because oh, the yeah. cello is mm-hmm. so beautiful. It is. It's just it's got such a rich amazing sound so many pieces of orchestral music i realize are my favorites because they have just these beautiful sweeping cello parts and i love well I, i've talked about this too i mean one i, I would love to do the cello because it's a baritone <laughs> instrument mm-hmm. but it's like the cello has just like a i'm a human it like it's like has its own soul and i know you said soul mm-hmm. a lot today but it's like the cello just has like like i played violin because i want to be a melody person mm-hmm. it was squeaky i didn't like it uh, violas, you know, you hate your life because you're just doing the support role. Yes. Uh, bass is huge and you go boom, 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 boom. Yes. And, and also that, and that kind of defeats the portability thing. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> a cello, like when you listen to it, you're just like. It's so beautiful. It's like listening to chocolate. Yeah, yeah, chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I was really going to say great. it's a warm essence. Yeah, it's beautiful. So, yeah. It, my, my head says guitar. My heart says cello. Cello would be fun. Guitar would be probably a little more portable than yeah. cello. And more know? useful Yeah. in, real, in reality. Anything where you can play more than one note at once, really, really useful as it an is, instrument. It is very useful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Emily, for yes. uh, uh, taking the time to sit back, relax, and be oh, interviewed. You know, I feel so pampered. <laughs> I really do. I, I Maybe I should make people interview me more on this. Yeah, show. we'll just keep interviewing. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about your whole life story. We'll have a whole series of just interviewing. Don't me. forget our train podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a whole series where people interview me about trains because I love them so much. Well, uh, thank you so much for letting me interview you. Um, please take a look at our other instructor uh, mm-hmm. interviews yes. and podcasts. Uh, like, like, subscribe, do everything that you can to support the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, step, stop by the uh, website. It's rodmansteel.com for your free first lesson. Mm -hmm. We'll be here and thank you so much for listening or watching or whatever you did to support us. Thank you very much. See you guys next week.